I can't begin to express to you how much of a blessing it is to see your sweet smiling faces from Sunday to Sunday and especially to hear your voices as you praise God together. It is such a, it's such a blessed thing. So thank you, Greg, and those that serve with him to lead us in worship. And thank you, young man, for taking up the offering. I hope you have a Bible with you this morning. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Hopefully when you came in, you got a copy of the bulletin. I know we ran out last week, but we made some more this week. And so I hope you have one on the back of that. There's some notes. If you want to use those notes, uh, they'll be behind me on the screen. But if you want to follow along as we work through God's word together. And so you have the notes in the back, and then also uh, Matthew chapter 21 is where I'd encourage you to join me at. I'm sure that many of you have been in this season of life before, Jaylene and I have been in this season of life before, but just this last, or just this month, Ezra turned three years old, and, and with this season of life, we're coming into what is my, one of my most favorite seasons of life, he is, he's walking, we've almost got him house broken, so we don't have to do the diaper changing anymore, and then he starts to develop the ability to talk, and sometimes you think, well, that's a blessing and a curse, um, but one of the things as they are learning how to talk, and they are trying to learn how to enunciate and pronunciate words and they're trying to learn how to develop the words and the tenses and the verbs and all of those things and as he is learning to do that he is saying things to me that I don't understand and let me give you an example. We'll be driving down the road. I'll have the four boys with me. And he'll, he'll, he'll from the back seat there in his car seat, he will, he will yell out, Daddy, me what twits? And I said, do what? Daddy, 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 me what twits? And I say, son, I don't understand. So then he says it slower. Me what twits. I said, well, I didn't understand it faster. I don't understand it slower. But he's emphatic and he, he is passionate about it. So I look at his brothers and I said, do you know what he's saying? And they say, well, Ezra, say it again. And of course, they look at him like they're going to read lips, like that's going to make a difference. And so they're looking at him and he says, me what twits. And as he gets older and as he develops the ability to speak, it goes from me what twits to me want treats because see what he's learned that if he goes and he is working with daddy and the other brothers then if we're driving by Bez we'll sometimes go in and get a little soda water maybe get us a little candy bar or something like that and so he identifies that as treats and so at an early age he knew that when we passed Bez that was the treat place and he wanted treats and so he's still learning on his he's still learning that it's not me it's I and he's learning those things but at a young age and trying to communicate he is passionate he is excited and he understands but sometimes the hearer doesn't catch what is being said as Greg alluded to earlier we are here on Palm Sunday and it is the Sunday traditionally known as the beginning of Holy Week. It's the Sunday that the church has celebrated and recognized when Jesus made that triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, coming into Jerusalem one last time before the crucifixion would take place. And it's a time the church has to celebrate because we're not celebrating a dead Messiah. We're not celebrating a dead Savior. We are celebrating not only Christ coming in to begin this week of being that propitiation for our sins, but we have a chance to celebrate that Christ, that Jesus, that Messiah still lives. That person that rode in on the donkey this Sunday so many years ago is still alive and at the right hand of the Father right now interceding for us. And sometimes we can get together and we can say boy that should be something exciting and you can go yeah I understand that's exciting but when we get out in the world the world goes I, I don't know what they're saying. 
I don't get what they're excited about. And sometimes even us in the church, we can lose sight of why we should be so excited about it. And sometimes we can be looking at a world saying, me what twits? When we're meaning to say, Jesus saves. So what I want to do this morning is, I know we've been in the book of Joshua here for the last two or three weeks, but I want to take a pause. I want to look at Matthew chapter 21 this morning, looking at Palm Sunday. Uh, Greg already wrote or read a parallel passage, if you will, um, from Matthew chapter 21. And then, of course, next Sunday, you know, is Easter Sunday, so I know that you and everyone else will be here. I hope that you bring somebody with you for next Sunday. It'll be an opportunity we love. We have more blue chairs. I didn't know if you knew that. We have more blue chairs, and they're all the same color, and they've all been cleaned here recently, and we would love to have more blue chairs. We would love to take that divider out and put people over there. We would love to have to set out more chairs for more of you to come, and if every single one of you would bring somebody with you next Sunday, I'm assuming you know someone else that's not in church this morning, but if every one of you would bring somebody with you, we could have a great crowd as we get to celebrate, not, necessarily, not just only a risen Savior, we celebrate an empty tomb, and we celebrate what that empty tomb means for us today. So what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at this picture of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. It's the triumphal entry as it's titled here in my copy of God's Word. Because what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see a group of people. And and while the focus is on Jesus, what I come to see is the excitement of the people. And you see their excitement, but you also see the clarity of why they are excited. In this world that we're living in with so many different distractions, so many other different messages, so many different ideas, I want to encourage us and I want to remind us of the clarity of our excitement today. We have a lot of times people get excited about a lot of things. Right now March Madness is going on and everybody gets excited about their basketball team. Everybody gets excited about their team that is winning. You have other sports that are taking place. They were just uh, wrapping up Oklahoma Youth Expo down in the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City yesterday and there were celebrations of people are excited about that. But when we think about our spiritual lives, what are you excited about? Sometimes people come to church like they're doing community service. Sometimes people come to church like they're going to in-school suspension. Sometimes people come to church like they're getting ready to take a midterm. They come in and they're like, I'm here. That should be enough. should be excited about getting to come to church. We should be excited about who we are and what we are in Christ. We should be excited about what Jesus has done and is doing and will do for us. We should be excited that this is not all there is. So my question to you, my main question, you see there at the top of your notes, is what are you excited about? about. Now I'm going to start in 21, chapter 21 here in Matthew, and I'm going to start in verse 1, just so we have a sake of uh, the the context, but we're going to primarily focus on verse 8 down through verse 11. But let me start in verse 1, just so we have the, the scene, if you will, of what is taking place. Chapter 21 and verse 1, the Bible says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find A donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast, a burden. 
Verse 6. When the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, they brought the donkey and the colt and put them or put on them their cloaks, and he set on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. There's three reminders. There's three examples that I want to point you to here in the text that I think should impact and influence us when we think about what it is that we are to get excited about. Not just this Sunday, but this whole upcoming week, the next Sunday to come, and every Sunday for the rest of this year, what is it that we need to get excited about and what can we learn from this picture here in the text? The first one that I want you to see, the first reminder is that the people, and this is the people that were gathered, they needed a savior. If you look there in verse 8, it says most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. If you go back in the previous verses, it wasn't that Jesus had said, all right, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a ticker tape parade. I'm going to come in and you're in charge of this and you're in charge of this and we're going to make a big old show and everybody's going to know who we are. Jesus just said, just go get me a donkey to ride on fulfilling a prophecy and he's coming in with his disciples but the whole people, whole people in the, in the surrounding area knew who Jesus was and they knew who was coming and they knew they needed a savior. Sometimes we forget that we need a savior. You know, there's a lot of things that make us or that make us united. There's a lot of things that make us common in our, in our humanness. One, we're created by God. We're loved by God, created in the image of God. But one of the other things that is true about every single one of us, the Bible tells us, is that all of us are sinners and all of us need a savior. You may say, well, Spence, you don't understand. I, I, I'm, I'm already saved, so I don't need a Savior anymore. No, you need a Savior every single day. I'm not saying that you need to be saved every single day, but you need a Savior every single day. And so you can just imagine the scene as Jesus is riding in on this donkey into the city of Jerusalem. All the crowds were gathered together because they knew they needed a Savior. In other words, their sin had burdened them. And that culture in that context that they were in they knew that there was a God they just didn't know how they could be right with that God they knew what the Old Testament had taught. They knew the law of Moses about the sacrificial system. They knew about the, the procedures and what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, what you could wear, what you couldn't wear, where you could go, where you couldn't go. They had all the rules. They had all the laws. They had all the explanations. And they had all the things that said, this is what you're supposed to do. The problem is, is every time the priest changed, the rules changed. In fact, they tell you, some commentators would tell you, that at that time, they had as many as 600 different laws that they were expected to keep. So there was always all of this ambiguity, if you will, because no one knew exactly how it was that they were right before God. Paul tells us in Romans 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul tells us again in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. They knew that they were in not right fellowship and relationship with God. They just didn't know how to get right before God. And all the things that man had said to do, they couldn't keep up with. So they constantly had this burden that I am not enough. 
And not only did their sin burden them, but their standing bothered them. They didn't know if they were right before God or not. They would come in and they would offer their sacrifices. They would do their good works, but it's kind of hard to know. Is that enough? Is it not enough? Men, we have this problem every Valentine's Day. (laughs) I think if enough of us men would band together and boycott it, we could just get rid of the whole thing altogether. But you always wonder, well, how much is enough? You come to an anniversary, and it's a special anniversary, and you're thinking, I know I need to do something special, but how special is special enough? I mean, y'all can look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But you always wonder, is this going to be enough? You do a little bit, but are they expecting more? Are they expecting less? Is this what they wanted? Is this not what they wanted? Are they going to understand? Are they not going to understand? And so these people were sitting there in the town, and they had had all of this religious system going on. They had all these man-made rules and all these man-made laws, and no one knew, is this enough? And they knew that they were going to die one day and stand before God and give an answer. And by the time they stood before God one day, gave an answer, it was going to be too late to do more. And see, that's the problem with every other religion in the world today. Every other religion has some type of works-based element to it to try to constantly get you in this moment and this mode of doing things. The problem is, is that you never know if these things are enough. So this crowd is gathered there in verse 8. They had spread their cloaks on the road. They had cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. You say, why in the world would they do that? Because they knew they needed a savior. They knew this need, they, they knew that this person was coming and their need compelled them. They said, if this is a guy, we want to worship him. If this is a guy, we want to welcome him. If this is a guy, we want to do everything everything in the world because we know that we need a savior and following along that there's a second reminder that the savior has come that's why they got so excited because they knew they needed a savior and they knew this savior was coming verse 9 and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting hosanna to the son of David. They got excited because they knew what they needed and they knew that need was going to be met. They knew that they needed a Savior and that Savior was here. And I wonder how in the world do we become so mundane and apathetic when it comes to the things of God? Could it be that we start to take our sin for granted? Could it be that we start to think less of our sin than God thinks of our sin? Could it be that we lose the holiness and the fear and the awe of God? Could it be that we accept and adopt this idea, well, since I'm better than him, that means I'm good before the eyes of God? Could it be that we fail to realize and remember just what our sin costs Jesus on the cross? Could it be that we start to think more of ourselves than we should? Could it be that we start We start to think better of ourselves, more of ourselves, and less of God. Otherwise, how is it that we could come in on a Sunday after Sunday basis and not realize that we need a Savior and to be grateful and to be contrite in heart because this Savior has come to us. These people are gathered and they are excited and they are celebrating because they know this Savior has come. As we are sitting here on Palm Sunday and we think about this world around us and we think about what it is this world needs to know. First of all, this world needs to know that they need a Savior. There may be some of you in this room this morning that you have never been saved. Oh, you know about God. You know the stories about God. 
But you've never come to the moment in your life that you believed on Jesus Christ, confessed your sins, repented of those sins, and placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ and was saved. And there's a big difference between just knowing about God and realizing you're a sinner in need of forgiveness and crying out and saying, Jesus, you're the only hope that I have and I need you to save me. See, the beauty is, is so many times we think that we can go through this world and we can be enough and we can do enough or it's going to be sufficient enough. The problem is, is that everything that we're going to do of our own hands and our own doing continues to fall short. But Jesus has come. Jesus has paid that price. He has met that, that, that qualification. He has done all that on our behalf so that salvation can be a free gift from Jesus Christ. But it starts with you understanding that you need a Savior. And we think about the world around us and we're looking at a society and a culture around us, they don't need more food. They don't need more social services. They don't need better housing. They don't need better education. They don't need more handouts or hand-ups. They need a Savior. And when we come to this week, it's not that we need people in this room. We need people to profess Jesus Christ as the Lord of their lives. So they realized they needed a Savior and so when the Savior had come, it set the people in an excited state of flurry. Notice there in verse 9, it says the crowds went before him. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Now if you go back to the idea of Hosanna, Hosanna there is an Aramaic word and it just simply means save I pray or help I pray. The people were just saying help us, save us. We know you're the Christ. We know you're the Messiah. We need to be saved. Why? Because they knew what so many people miss today that God had come in the form of a man. Jesus is the Christ in the flesh. They knew who this was. Christianity is the only religion that I know of in the world that believes and holds to the doctrine that God came to man. Other religions out there have this idea that God is there. God said his word through a prophet and that prophet then told, that prophet then shared some type of a looking through the stones, looking through the glasses. Those other religions are out there. But Christianity is the only religion that I know of that believes that God loved us so much that he came to us. And yet, we're just excited as can be about that. We're just so tickled about that. Act like we're going to go for a colonoscopy here after this. (laughs) We're just so tickled the idea that God came to us. I couldn't go to God. You couldn't go to God for me. I wasn't enough without God. God knew that I wasn't enough without him. God knew that I couldn't get to him. God knew that I couldn't be enough of my own. And God loved me so much that God had sent his son. God in the flesh came to this earth to be that propitiation for me. God came to me. That's what this Palm Sunday is about. And these people are sitting there and they're excited because what they're celebrating is Christ coming to them. Which meant in their ideas, in their understanding that salvation is 
possible. And that's what we're doing here on Palm Sunday. We're reminding, we're celebrating, we're proclaiming to people that not only do they need a Savior, but the Savior has come. It's not just enough to say, oh, you're going to go to hell because you're a sinner. And oh man, I'd hate to be in your position. But it's the idea that we have the gospel. It's the good news because we get to tell somebody that they are lost without God. They are headed to hell, dying for the penalty of those sins. But oh, oh, there's more. You know the infomercials? Just wait. There's more. Yes, you're a wretched sinner headed to hell, but Christ has come. That is something for us to get excited about. That is something for us to celebrate. That is something for us to smile about. And that is not something that has to be convoluted or hard to explain. You look at somebody and somebody says, well, why are you so happy? Because I need a Savior and that Savior has come. And that's the reason why we have to get excited. And you see what happens. And and I wonder why we don't see this in the church today. Could it be that we have people in the church today that never caught this? I I can't say that this is a... I can't say this is a have to be, but I can say this is a possibly. Notice in verse 9. When the crowds understood they needed a Savior, and when the crowds understood the Savior had come, what is the response of the crowd they celebrated they shouted they got excited do you see him going to sleep (laughs) do you see them making excuses do you see them going to work do you see them finding another thousand things to distract themselves with do you see them saying ho hum you got anything else do you see them asking for a better worship style do you see them asking for air conditioning do you see them asking for a a better worship experience do they see them saying we need something else to get us excited because they knew they needed a savior and because they knew the savior had come there was excitement so you see that third reminder that i put there in your notes this excitement was contagious the excitement was contagious when they realized they needed a savior and they realized this savior had come that got them excited and this excitement was contagious they, they couldn't help it. it it tells us right there in, in verse 9 that they were shouting hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest and then it tells us in verse 10 when he entered jerusalem the whole city was stirred up the whole city was stirred up why Because Jesus came in with a megaphone, like Muhammad Ali. The champ is here. The champ is here. No. Jesus didn't come into town saying anything. (laughs) He let the whip when he got to the temple say, do his talking for him. It wasn't because Jesus made a big fanfare. It wasn't because Jesus told the disciples, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a big social media blitz. And you're going to come in and you're going to put up all these flyers and you're going to come in and you're going to do all this grassworks effort and you're going to come in and you're going to get all this excitement stirred up. You're going to come in and you're going to make everything ready for me. That's not what happened. When the common person knew that they needed a Savior and the common person knew that Savior had come, the the common person got excited. And when you had enough excited people together, their excitement was contagious. Well, Spence, I I don't think that's exactly the way it went. I'm going to tell you, excitement is contagious, just like bad attitudes are contagious. Ezra will wake up and he'll be in a cranky attitude, and I'll look at him and say, you could go back in bed until you get a better attitude. I wish I could say that to some adults around here sometimes. (laughs) Go back home, get back in bed when you feel better, come back to church. The problem is is most adults wouldn't come back. (laughs) 
So you can't say that, and that doesn't sound very pastoral, but it's one of those things that you had enough people and they got excited. And just like gloom and doom, agony and despair, oh my, that can be contagious. In the same way, excitement is contagious. You get around people and they are a dynamic personality. They make you feel better. They encourage you. They exhort you. And you leave feeling excited. I can't remember what a year it was. I was in FFA, and that used to have the FFA State Convention down at the Myriad Center down in downtown Oklahoma City. And that year, Josh Brasheen, and I don't even know where he's from. I can't even tell you much about him. I just know he was an officer. He was giving a speech, and we were there at the Myriad Convention Center in high school, and this old boy comes riding in on a horse. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, that, that's pretty all right. And he comes in, and he delivers this entire speech on horseback. You had... How many thousands of FFAers there, all high school kids, all sitting in the Myriad Convention Center, all listening to that. And by the time he got done, it wasn't because he did some shooting trick, doesn't because he did some rope trick or some pony riding trick, but because of his speech, the entire Myriad was stirred up and you had all these high school kids ready to go out and paint the town purple and gold. (laughs) Blue and gold. (laughs) I think it's purple, but it's blue. (laughs) It should be purple. But anyways, but they were ready to go out and just canvas the town. He got them all excited and he got them all stirred up. Why? Because he did some juggling act? No, because of the power of his speech and the power of his persuasion, the power of his personality. And I'm going to tell you right now that every single one of you can do the same thing. Well, Spence, I'm not really gifted to speak. You don't have to speak. You get excited. You get excited and let someone around you say, why is that person excited? And you look at them and you don't have to have a big long spiel. You don't have to have this theologically rich explanation. You can just simply look at them and say, I need a Savior and that Savior has come. And you can get excited. You can get excited with your life. You can get excited with your conduct. You can get excited with your attitude. You can get excited with your priorities. You can get excited with the use of your resources. You can get excited with your time. You can get excited with your whole personality and people start looking, why is that person so stirred up? Because the Savior has come. And so these people are in this town. It tells us there in verse 10, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up because this excitement was contagious. The believers were excited. And not only were the believers excited, they didn't go, yeah, we're excited. We're excited. Oh yeah, we're excited. Mm. Their excitement did something. Their excitement had an expression. Sometimes I've been accused of being stoic. I don't think I'm stoic. I just don't think that many people's funny. Uh, not my fault. <laughs> they could be better. <laughs> but, but sometimes people will say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped. I'm really excited about this. Oh, I just can't wait for this. Oh, this, this is going to be so awesome. And I'm like, really? You convinced me otherwise. <laughs> you know, when people get excited, they smile. And people get excited, they start to talk fast. You hear people say, well, Spence, why do you talk so fast? One, I don't have that much time. And number two, I'm kind of excited about what we're doing here. Because what we're doing here is not just something that's going to last for a day or a week or a month, a year. What we're doing here has an internal impact. We have an opportunity to reach into the hearts of people, both senior and young. We get to reach into the hearts and the souls of people and plant nuggets and seeds that we do not have any idea what God is going to do today, next week, next year, or for a millennia to come. We have an opportunity to do soul business in here. And why shouldn't you be excited? 
And so the people, they, they got excited. And when the believers got excited, there were shouts of joy. You see that there in the text? They, the whole city was stirred up saying, or the whole city was stirred up because these people were shouting, Hosanna, blessed be the Lord. They were shouting these things and people started getting excited to the point that the whole city was stirred up. And this is the question. Who is this? May that be the testimony of First Baptist Church in Wellston that the entire community around us comes to us and says, Who is this? Tell me why you are excited. Tell me why there's enthusiasm. Tell me why you're smiling. Tell me why you're serving. Tell me why you're sacrificing. Tell me the things that you're doing and the motivation behind it. Everyone in the city was asking questions there in verse 10. They were all asking, who is this? In other words, because of the excitement of the believers, because they understood that they needed a Savior, they understood that the Savior had come, and that got them excited, and this this excitement was contagious, and when they got excited what happened a whole culture was stirred up there's something biblical about that I believe in fact if I was to travel over to the book of Hebrews and I was to go to chapter 10 I would find this written in verse 24 and 25 and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews says it's an opportunity and I would even dare say a responsibility for other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, to stir one another up. And when we are stirring one another up, then we start to stir up the culture and the society around us. Because they start to see our influence. They start to see our excitement. They start to see our passion. They start to see our commitment. They start to see our devotion. They start to see our zeal. They start to see that there is a difference in us. People all the time are asking the question. I hear it from time to time. Well, how it is that we're supposed to reach a community? How it is that we're supposed to make a difference? How it is in all the competing voices and all the competing distractions, how it is the church stays relevant? And I think those are really good questions, and I think those are questions that we should ask about. But I'm going to tell you what I believe the Bible tells us is the secret. Are you ready? Come in close. You. (laughs) You are the secret. What do you mean, Spence? You want to know how you reach a community? You want to know how you make an impact in a society? You want to know how you make a difference in the culture? You. You get excited. You don't get over what God has done in you. You don't get over the fact of what Jesus has done in your life. You don't get over the idea of what it means to be saved. You don't get over that. And then because you're so worked up, you're stirring everybody else up. And then everybody starts to stir each other up. And next thing you know, you have an entire church and it's stirring up a community. And then that community starts stirring up other people. That's how it works. Jesus called 12 disciples. History tells us 11 of those disciples end up giving their life in service to the kingdom of God. 11 men and one generation turned the entire world upside down because the entire known world heard about Jesus Christ. And it started with 11 men. Three great awakenings that have been recorded in history over the last several hundred years and every single one of them started with one, two, three individuals coming together saying we're going to pray and we're just going to be faithful and we're going to let God handle the the increase. We're going to let God handle the fruit. They got together. They got excited about what God is doing and God used that to spawn and to spur and to go on in greater heights and greater depths for for the greatness and the glory of God. Just some single people 
got excited. So I wonder, for you and I today, what are we excited about? Fortunately, in the life of the church, sometimes we get more excited about criticism and complaints than we do about the glory and the praise of God. And then sometimes we forget that this isn't a complicated message. This isn't a complicated picture. It's an example that we have right here in this text. The people knew they needed a Savior. The people knew that the Savior had come. And when they realized this Savior had come, they got excited. And this excitement was contagious. I know some of you think, well, I can't get too excited, Spence. If I get too excited, then I start looking weird in the life of the church. You know, sometimes we need to look weird. The Bible calls us to look weird. And I would much rather people look at you and go, you know, you're just too excited about this Jesus thing than to look at you and not know that you're excited about anything. So how is it that we stay contagious? I put there in your notes, it may not be good English, but I put there in your notes, being Contagious. How it is that even during this week, and I'm not talking about just this week, I am talking about the days to come, how it is that we as a church, how do we stay contagious? We want to be the kind of people that not only realize that we need a Savior and this Savior has come, but we want to be the kind of people that get so excited that we're contagious telling other people. It's called evangelism. It's called proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called being a witness and a testimony. The very same thing the Bible tells us to do. I am not giving you anything that is not coming straight from Scripture, from the words of Jesus Christ, saying, in other words, he's telling us in Matthew 28, be contagious. We have spent this entire last year worried about contagious. Because we don't want to catch it. And I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm not trying to mentalize it. I just want to quickly say that sometimes we treat religion the same way. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to come off too strong. I don't want to offend them. I don't want all these things. And what you're saying is, is I don't care if they go to hell or not. Do you think Jesus cared about being contagious? You think that the disciples cared about being contagious? Twice they were called in front of the religious authority after Jesus had ascended to the Father. Twice they were told to stop proclaiming Jesus. Twice they looked at religious leaders and go, you know the worst thing you can do is get us to heaven faster. The worst thing you can do is kill our mortal body. But you know what? We're still going to heaven. So whatever you need to do, you do. I am not going to stop being excited because I know what Jesus has done for me. And somewhere along the way in the Christian church, we think that being a contagious Christian is a bad thing. We'll be a contagious critic on Facebook. We'll be a contagious criticizer in the church meetings. We'll be a contagious critic in government and politics, social affairs. But won't be a contagious witness for Jesus. 
so how it is that we stay contagious. Well, just three ideas down there at the bottom of your notes and we'll be done. First one is this. Everyone needs someone. Everyone needs someone. You may say, well, Spence, how in the world does that relate to being contagious? I want you to know that everyone needs someone. So that every person that you see, every person that you know, every person that you come in contact with, every set of eyeballs that you know, everyone needs someone. Primarily, they need a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior because the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the problem that we have today in the world because people think that they can isolate themselves. And I'm going to tell you, isolation leads to spiritual starvation. When you isolate yourself, when you pull yourself out, it does nothing but starve you spiritually. That is one of the um, paradoxes right now and maybe a best word I can think of when it comes to this online format. I realize that some people want to watch at a distance for safety and health, and I get that. The danger is, is when people think that is the same thing as being in a time of fellowship with other believers. The problem is, is that some people have a means of isolating themselves, and when they isolate, they spiritually starve. And so we can walk around and know that it doesn't matter whether that person's receptive. That person doesn't have to like it. That person doesn't have to say, please tell me how bad of a person I am, how much of I need Jesus. That person doesn't have to say that, but we can know that everyone needs someone. In other words, everyone needs Jesus. So it's not a matter of saying, well, I don't have to be contagious to Mo because Mo already knows. No, Mo needs stirred up. And then I stir Mo up, and the Mo turns around, he stirs up Van. The Van turns around, he stirs up Kel. And then Kel turns around, and he stirs up Brandon. The Brandon turns around, and he stirs up Jay. And this is how the chain works. It's not looking saying, well, you know what, Mo, he's already saved. I don't need to talk to him. We all need excitement. And we all need to be contagious. Everyone needs someone. That means that we all the time, every time, no matter what, have an opportunity to be contagious to someone else. The second idea is this. Salvation leads to service. When Christ saved you, he saved you to serve him. That's part of us confessing. That's part of our confession before Christ. We're making him the Lord of our lives. We're identifying that because he has come to us, we will now serve him. Mark 10, 45 says it like this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So why is it acceptable that Jesus Christ would come serve and sacrifice for us, but we wouldn't serve sacrifice for him? Some of the opportunities to be contagious are Connected with the opportunity to serve. Well, I don't have time. Yeah, you do. You're the same time as everybody else. Well, I just don't have any free time. Yes, you do. We all have the same amount of time. The question is not, do you have the time? The question is, what are you going to do with the time that you have? Well, it doesn't really matter. I, I, I can't get away from this. You realize that one day you're going to die and all that stuff is going to stay here? All those responsibilities, all those events, all those activities that couldn't still go on without you. You realize that one day you're going to die and they're going to keep on going. Did you realize that? 2003 when I got deployed to Iraq. My family and my circle of people that I ran with, they didn't stop living because I was no longer there. I kept right on going. I told someone just this morning. Growing up in Wellston, leaving Wellston for a season of life, coming back, I said, it's like I was in a 15-year coma. Everybody else kept on going. 
I left. I was being a knucklehead in some places. I was off doing some things that God wanted me to do, some things that God didn't want me to do, depending on the season of life. But I was going, and then I come back. Everybody else kept on going. The, the problem is, is that sometimes we think, well, you know what? I don't have any time to serve. Yes, you do. The question is, will you? And sometimes you need to recognize the opportunity to serve is an opportunity to be contagious. And then this last one will be done. Spiritual excitement should be eternal. Spiritual excitement should be eternal. See there in the text, it says that the people were shouting. Now we can logically conclude that at some point they stopped shouting. At some point they stopped being excited. At some point the crowds died down. At some point I'm assuming they went to sleep. They said, alright, that's enough. He's coming to the town. I don't know if it was when the table started getting flipped over and they're like, ah, oh, we better change our chant. I don't know what it was, but at some point some of these things ceased. But that doesn't mean that the excitement in the church should ever cease. There is never a Sunday that comes that you come in here and you don't have a reason to be excited. There's never a time that you come in here and you're like, well, I don't know what I have to be excited about today. Let me tell you what, for those of you that are saved, that you know you're a part of the redeemed, let me tell you what you're going to be doing for an eternity. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And listen to what they say. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It's this idea that there, through the revelation of John, John is saying that when the church is gathered, the church is going to glorify, the church is going to worship, the church is going to continually proclaim the glory of God. You will worship for an eternity. Your spiritual excitement should be eternal. Why not use the opportunity today to practice what you're going to do for the next 10,000 years? I think sometimes we have people today that are going to be excited when they get, or they're going to be surprised when they get to heaven. (laughs) Heaven doesn't talk about an AT hole golf course. Heaven doesn't talk about 25-pound bass. Heaven doesn't talk about jacuzzi, spa days. Heaven talks about the presence of God. Heaven talks about the glory of God. Heaven talks about us being in right relationship, right fellowship, no fear, no embarrassment, no shame. We are right before God forever. And yet, so many times in the world today we act like that doesn't change a thing so I wonder what are you excited about today would you bow your heads with me